This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes as well as some of the challenges they've faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. In today's episode, we take a deep dive into the world of general insurance. You'll learn how a business interruption policy helps save a large Australian business from liquidation, why cyber insurance is now paramount in managing business risk, and just how important it is to take out the right insurance cover. Let's jump in. Hi, Tony. Thank you so much for joining me in today's episode. Thank you, Savan. Tell us a little bit of a background about your involvement in general insurance. How did you get started? Well, my involvement started back in 1986. I really did want to go back to school or I wanted to have a bit of a break. 86 was a great summer and in uh, 87, come the 26th of January, my father gave me an ultimatum. It was either go back to school or go get a job and I balked at that. And within a week, I started working at an insurance brokerage that was run by my uncle and I had no idea what I was doing, but I had to rock up at work at nine o'clock. And 35 years later, I... Well, almost rocked up at 9 a.m. <laughs> I was going to say, were you rocking up at 9 a.m.? Uh, about day three, I think it stopped. There you go. So tell us a bit about what does a broker do in the general insurance space? So basically our role is to source the best possible cover for the best possible premium. But that's not all we do. I mean, our role is a bit more than that, is that if there was ever a claim, we're there to assist you. We're there to help you. We're there to guide you through the minefields of insurance speak and get you the best result that we possibly can. Unfortunately, a lot of the guys in the industry at the moment sort of sit there and take the insurer's word and if you don't push them, you could be shortchanging yourself. So a role of a broker probably is a little bit more important in the event of a claim, equally as important, I should say, than if and when you pay your premium because the majority of people when it comes to insurance want that piece of paper for peace of mind and they don't even know what they're buying. When a claim occurs, they pull out that piece of paper and they expect the world. And it's not like that and it never has been like that and it's getting tougher these days to get more out of an insurer because they're a business and everyone's tightening up. In terms of general insurance, we've used that word a couple of times. So what does it cover and what does it not cover in the sense insurance world in so, terms of the word general insurance? So basically general insurance is any asset that you own. It covers intellectual property. It covers loss of income. So basically the traditional fire and perils and storm and tempest and motor vehicle accidents and tools of trade and things like that. Anything that's, I suppose, not related to your personal life insurance stuff i.e. being income protection and things like that. It's there for your assets. Okay, so it's different to risk insurance, which yeah. is life insurance, income Correct. protection. Correct. You guys at Wilson White don't write that, obviously? We have a facility for it. It's not something we personally specialise in at Wilson White. 
There are experts in all fields of insurance and the life is as we refer to them. That's their expertise and you just leave it to them. The industry tried to dabble in a limited income protection, but it just got too dangerous with all the changes in legislation. So we'd rather stick to what we know well than do something half-heartedly. Yeah. We probably should dive into Wilson White Insurance Brokers a little bit and give our listeners a background on where you work at the moment and you're a pivotal part of that business now. So I thought I'd just share with the viewers that Alexander Spencer have a vested interest in that business and you're a pivotal part of that now, which is really great. So at Wilson White Insurance Brokers, you obviously do general insurance and what sort of values or things that you do at Wilson White, what type of clients do you service? Is it sort of anyone and everyone? You do do home and motor or is there a sort of niche that you work within in Wilson White? Everyone at Wilson White has their own specialty area that they work in. However, we are probably best described as a boutique insurance broker in that the person you talk to to take out your home cover will be the same person that you talk to to take out your business insurance. It'll be the same person that you talk to that'll take out your car insurance and it'll be the same person you ring when you've had a problem in all those areas. So there's no delegation of I'll take your money and then hand the problem of a claim over to someone else. The person liaising with the claims person is the broker you're talking to. So insurance is used obviously to mitigate risk and manage risk. And in running a small business, there are lots of different types of risks. I want to cover off on some of those today. So public liability, I want to start there. It's probably the most common that most businesses yeah, look this, at. I've always worked on the rule that if you've got an ABN number, you probably should have a public liability policy, regardless of what business you're in. And there are people that say, oh, yeah, but my business, I will never have a claim. Well, if you're never going to have a claim, why are you talking to me? Yeah. And you can get dragged in on any liability claim. You know, what is the most important part of a small business? It really changes all the time. Public liability is probably certainly up there. Fire insurance is up there. Loss of income is up there in the event of a fire. Everyone's a bit different in what they want and what they expect. But if you're sort of buying insurance on the basis that you're never going to have a claim, then probably shouldn't be buying insurance. <laughs> yeah. Talking a little bit more about public liability, in general sense, the one that you just mentioned, ABN holders should all have public liability. What does it So basically public liability indemnifies you if anyone, say, walks into your premises and trips over. If you're a professional person or a tradesperson, um, you might leave your briefcase or your toolbox in the middle of a walkway and if someone trips over, they will sue you. So it's personal injury that occurs due to your negligence. There's an extension of that called products liability. So if you look at, say, a hairdresser who put colour in your hair and the colour starts to burn your scalp and things like that, that's a liability claim. It could be treatment risk, and that's an extension you have to have of the public liability for hairdressers. Products liability is if a cabinet maker installs some cupboards and the product causes damage where the cupboard causes damage. So it's the product as opposed to personal injury. So that's why you'll see a lot of the time it'll say public and products liability. Okay, so really the term is public and products liability and cover sort of 
that policy wording would cover sort of both. It of covers those a things. broad range of things. And I mean, you must have seen some interesting claims over the years. Have you ever been involved in a public liability claim? And can you give us a an example of a really cool one that you'd want to share with us, really or cool a one, no, really we, fun one to a fun to, one? I mean, well, I unfortunately, know. liability claims are never fun because <laughs> someone's always been injured. But one of the interesting ones was a client who was building a home down by the sea, and the owner of the property said to their neighbour, please come and have a look at the view that I'm going to have. It's absolutely magnificent. So the carpenters didn't want to unload their ladders every day, so they made a makeshift ladder. They laid the floor and it was a Friday night and the boys decided, oh, we won't cut the stairwell out now, we'll do that Monday. So over the weekend, the neighbour and her family all walked up the makeshift ladder at sunset to look at the beautiful view and as the wife walked over the stairwell that had no support underneath, she fell through the floor, <gasps> broke both her legs. No. That was a claim that was about $400,000. Does it cover being silly? I mean, I guess insurance is for things that go wrong. Unfortunately, there's no stupidity clause in insurance. So you could be stupid and the insurer goes, what the hell have you done? And it still pays out. It's, it's called negligence. <laughs> Yeah. So rather than stupidity, but yeah. So that's what you're really covering. So you actually are covering people yeah. doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And I'll give you another quick one where a person was changing some light fittings, or light bulbs, I should say, at a fairly well-known shopping centre, and he didn't want to move the ladder, and he thought he could lean over and change the bulb. And as he was leaning, he went to fall and thought the only thing he could grab was the sprinkler head, and he did and the centre was shut down. This gentleman paid $400 premium and it caused $680,000 worth of damage. The next year we sent him his bill and it had gone up to four fifty, and he complained about the increase. Oh, no. And the insurer would have... It's only taking $50 in recovering the $680,000. Yeah, we're never going to get a recovery. No. They had to shut the store down. They had to shut part of the shopping centre down. There were clean-up costs. Did the sprinkler go off? Is that what happened? Yeah, there was lost sales. So when you look at something like that, the first one was personal injury where physio and, and all those sorts of things. The second one was that he shut down some major businesses for two days, I think it was, and if he didn't have liability, they were sure they would have dragged him through the system and God knows what would have happened if yeah. that had been the case. And obviously I want to talk a little bit about leasing premises and just building insurance generally. A lot of our clients operate from all different places, but majority of them have some form of either a warehouse factory office. With that... Can you give us a little bit of a background on what's required by a business owner in terms of insurance? I know that the landlord would want his building covered. There's obviously content inside, fixtures, fittings. So just can you give us a bit of a background yep. on if a business owner that came to you in relation to a building, what advice would you give him and what policies would he generally need? So if a client was taking over a premises that was just four walls and a roof and the tenant had to do the fit out, all the fit-out is considered contents owned by the tenant. So carpets and petition walls and things like that all belong to the tenant until such time as that tenant vacates the premises. Now, if the tenant vacates the premises and doesn't want to take it, all that stuff with him, that then becomes the property of the landlord. So what happens in a lot of cases is the next tenant will come in and the landlord says, well, there's the premises, and then there'll be a water damage claim where carpets are damaged. So 
the landlord says, well, I own the building, but did you tell us about the contents you own inside? Mm. Oh, I didn't put it in. Yeah, but you own it, so you've got to replace it. So if you go into a brand new building, if you take over a premises, just make sure you check your lease that the landlord's not making you liable for all those sorts of things. So uh, normally under outgoings in your lease, you'll see where it says you must reimburse the landlord for building, loss of rent, glass and property owner's liability. A lot of people say, oh, I've already got liability. It's two separate liabilities, one's for the landlord and one's for the tenant. In saying that, so you've paid the outgoings, which includes an insurance yep. policy, which you just defined. There's a tenant that runs a, I know, retail store. Whatever. Do I need to then get a separate policy for my fixtures, fittings, yep. carpet? It's actually, I end up having two policies, one, or do they get combined? You don't have two policies because the first policy is owned by the landlord. Okay. So if there was a water damage, the assessor would come out and say, right, who owns the carpets? And you'd say, well, they were here when I got here. So you would make the claim under the landlord's policy for that particular water damage, whereas if you paid for the whole fit-out, that's covered by your contents. And is there insurance for stock and stuff? So in that retail yeah, example, so would there retail, be... in other? a retail example, you obviously cover your fit-out and you cover your stock. The stock is basically anything that you're selling and you want to cover that for fire, water damage, malicious damage, accidental damage, depending on what the product is. You want to cover it for burglary in the event that they break in overnight or during the day. You can also get a theft without forcible entry. So depending on the type of product that you're selling, you might want a $5,000 of theft without forcible entry. That's quite expensive. Is that for like shoplifting yeah, and stuff? Yeah, but again, it is quite expensive. And if you have too many of those claims, the insurer will end up saying, well, risk management's not that good. So we're not going to offer it to you next year. Yeah. And I guess an example where there'd be a serious effect to a business is when there's a fire, obviously, and you yep. can't operate. Yep. We always recommend Wilson White to our clients as being part of the group of Alexander Spencer. But can you talk to us a little bit about mitigating that risk and the policy that's available in mitigating that risk of being able to operate and what's that called and how does it work? The best way I can tell you that insurance works is I had a fire claim on previous life and the client was in a really old premises. The equipment that they were using involved a lot of heat and it involved a lot of the fibres of the product that they were doing, involved a lot of grease and oil and even though it was cleaned. But it occurred in January, it was 42 degrees, heat was building up in the factory and there was spontaneous combustion. This place was in over three factories and two of the factories just couldn't be used again. One was still operational. So it was a really significant fire. I was about 12 million. Were there people at the time? Thankfully, the neighbour was living in his factory illegally. And <laughs> he was having a smoke and noticed an orange light and they called the fire brigade and it was a mess. So that client had a separate standalone business interruption policy. So within... 48 hours, that particular insurer, we cut a check for, I think it was about 150 grand so that the owner of the business could still pay staff and get things going, keep customers happy. And we 
had to keep the business going because the competitors were circling. The morning of the fire, his competition were ringing his customers saying, look, you heard about his fire, don't think he's going, they're going to be able to meet your needs. And we engaged people to just keep this business going. Cut a long story short, we didn't have a major loss in the profits area for this client. We had basically operational costs that the policy covered, but that was our biggest cost in the claim. We then said, right, what do you want to do with the business? He said, I want to rebuild. And we thought, okay, we need to find you a new premises. We found the client a new premises, not in the area he was in, a little bit further out. We needed to upgrade the utilities, more power, more gas. So a lot of that upgrade came from the business interruption insurer. Yeah. Because the idea was... The quicker we get you back into business, the quicker we stop paying the business interruption claim. So when this new premises was sought, it was brand new, everyone ran through it, it was state-of-the-art, we looked at all the angles and went, spontaneous combustion can never happen again. Claim happened in January. We settled the claim on, he was in his new premises on the 30th of August. Just an amazing turnaround the client was up and running eight months after a major loss there was a few factoring things that we you know he'd ordered a new machine because the business was growing it was fine everything worked out fantastic just in relation to that example and the yep. business interruption yep if that business was making i don't know let's call it a hundred thousand dollars a week hundred thousand dollars a month does the business interruption cover not only replace and set you up in a new premises as quickly as they can but do they also then pay you along the journey throughout the process so the business interruption was covering the weekly wage to all his staff any utilities that had to be paid any leases that still had to be paid her loans we paid for upgrading of services that the property insurer wouldn't have paid for. So it covers a lot more. And then, of course, finally, any loss of income. So it actually, he wouldn't have lost out. By having the policy financially, he would have been fine throughout that process. That's right. And the indemnity period, so how long we pay for is very important because most people will take out a business interruption policy for 12 months. Bit of literature I've read in every seminar I've been to, any business that insures for 12 months probably won't survive after a loss. You've got to consider at least 18 to 24 months. Yeah, it does take time to build that up yep. and, and so on. We were so lucky in this one that the forensic people told us within five hours that it was spontaneous combustion. It had been suspicious. The insurer can't act on it until they get the clearance from the fire brigade or the police. So as soon as the clearance came through that, yep, this is spontaneous combustion the wheels went into motion i mean that claim there we would have to have meetings at four and five o'clock in the afternoon till about eight o'clock at night i mean it took a lot of time out of my personal life but you know the owner was devastated he worked so hard to get all these new clients and all of a sudden there's no more business so by august we're up and running we've got brand new premises the place is state-of-the-art and excuse me, two years to the day, that happened again. No, you just said it, it was the state-of-the-art facilities. Yep. How did that happen again? A $4 power board from Bunnings. Oh, no. And was it not suspicious the second time? So my phone was going off the hook from about midnight. So wow. I sort of got this message at 5 a.m. and why is he ringing me? And all I heard down the other end of the phone was, 
you're not going to believe this. It's happened again. And he'd been at a sporting match. His uh, cleaner had said, mate, I can smell something funny. So straight away he was onto the CCTV footage. They could smell something. The guy's walking around the factory saying, but I can smell something. And what had happened was a piece of equipment was moved and it needed three-phase power. But it was... Look, just plug it in for now. I'll get the electrician next week. So the idiot clause had to so kick I was, in again. Yeah, so I was out there. At, I was there at six a.m. The fire brigade, and we we're going. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's happened again. And oh, really, yeah. Oh God. Uh, mm, uh. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he brought out this power board, and he said, "That's your problem." And everyone just looked at each other, and we know where that started. Can I just go back with when you were telling that story? You used the word. We did this, we got him into there and we paid him the 150. So as a broker and during the claims process, do you talk to the underwriter and facilitate that process? Yeah. And so you're the man. So Tra- claims I, process. Can you go through that yeah, claims process? So what, we, would I, what would a so client what expect? I've always done and is hold their hand through the process because it's easy for you to ring your insurance guy and say, hey, my building's burnt down. Okay, we'll get an assessor out there. The assessor's out there working for the insurance company. However, if there's no one to keep him in check, the assessors don't like brokers being at the site if there's a loss. They get a little bit intimidated. We were sort of helping the client with the process, with the business interruption insurer. We were sitting with him saying, okay, we need to do this, this, this and this. We need an assessor for this particular side of the business being the machinery. We need an assessor for the other side of the business being all the other bits and pieces. So you could have two or three assessors on one claim and you've got to liaise that and you've got to say, right, Savan, you're going to put your report in on Tuesday. Well, you know, Monday night I'm ringing you saying, is this report going off Tuesday? Oh, no, mate, I'm a bit... No, no, we had a meeting and you said it would be there Tuesday, get it there Tuesday. If you lose control of that claim, then your client's going to be really unhappy. The client rings and says, can we have a meeting at 6 o'clock? Yep, okay, no worries, you've got to be there. And that's what we do at Wilson White in the sense that... And look, people at Wilson White will hate me for saying this. Don't just take their money. They don't need you for that. Anyone can write a cheque for an insurance policy. You need us more when you have a claim. You need to know the pitfalls. You need to know the things that the insurers aren't going to pay. To give you a quick example, like people go, oh, I get a free windscreen if I have a stone chip. But if you don't look into policy wording, if you've got a Mercedes or a BMW or something like that, the insurer that gives you a free windscreen won't give you a genuine Mercedes windscreen. They'll give you a non-genuine one. All of a sudden, your Mercedes is going to be devalued because you don't have original parts on it. So there are policy wordings and there are policies that can give you genuine and those that give you non-genuine. I don't want to sell you non-genuine because all it just means is I'm going to have a problem when you go and get your windscreen fixed and you ring me saying, what type of rubbish policy have you sold me? And you're going to yell at me. Yeah. So I'd rather you not yell at me. Well, I would never yell at you, Tony. But I'd um, rather you yell at me that I'm expensive, <laughs> not that I've not reinstated you properly. But it just sounds like the industry, especially the ones that, I mean, I've seen you guys in actions and I'm a part of it, so I am a bit conflicted. But the word general insurance broker is probably not, the right word to define someone that does it really well because you don't just broker premium and sell a premium because the example you gave on how you handled the claims process yep and i've seen you in action you actually are a risk management advisor that sells a product to help you manage risk and then helps you when 
something goes wrong. So a oh, broker, I think, I think the word you, broker. I think I know where you're going with this one. I just think the word broker seems like you're selling something and that's it. Whereas you actually are giving advice, and yeah. I've seen that. So also I suppose you, it's great. You, yeah, you're talking about when we asked that. Yeah, well, we went we went and saw a client the other day. <laughs> and asked and him about his fire extinguisher. Yeah, and these clients were like, oh, we don't need insurance and we're all good. And as we were walking no, out... No, 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 they, they said, yeah, we've got a fire extinguisher. And I said, oh, where is it? And they went, yeah, it's over here. And he had to move a few boxes and a 20-litre gallon of oil. And he goes... There it is. And, yeah, it was uh, under the was under air the, fryer. Under the air fryer. Not air fryer, the, the fryer fryer. And I said, well, it's taken you three minutes with calm to find the fire extinguisher that hasn't been serviced for two years. <laughs> <laughs> so we went back about two weeks later and that client goes, oh, my God, I'm glad you mentioned that to me. We've now had them all serviced. We've now got the right stuff. And that's what people don't think about. We tell people get thermal imaging done of your switchboard, particularly in offices, because the heat that a faulty wire can generate will cause a fire. And if you don't know that that's happening, because you can't see it, unless you have a, a scan done of your switchboard, you could come back to not having an office. I was just seeing you in action that day was really good because it was like an inspector like giving risk, advice. Just, just risk managing, just yeah. sort of letting them know that they need to, as much as you pay for an insurance premium, there still are things that you can do to minimise a loss because no one wants to have a claim. I want to touch on one last thing. We're probably running out of time, but hot area at the moment and it costs billions of dollars to Australian businesses in many ways is cybercrime. Yep. We've had discussions with people around mitigating cybercrime threats can you insure for cybercrime and can you give us a little bit of background on that? The reason cybercrime, I think, becomes so popular is that obviously in the current conditions, a lot more people are working from home. Everything we do is through the internet. When you think back, when I first got into insurance, I used to take out burglary insurance because the thieves were going to come through the back door and steal all the stock. Now they come in through your phone or your PC or whatever it may be. With a lot more people working from home, everybody gets a lot of their bills online through email and we all hear about the scam email going around. The youth of today live by technology. Technology can be your friend or it can be your enemy and it is so easy to just open the door to let these guys in. So the industry has had to create a, a cyber insurance policy with the cyber policy, it'll cover the business interruption. It'll cover the ransom that they want. Cyber insurance is, I suppose, typically the old burglary policy you used to have on your stock, but it's more in the space of technology. And look, I think you've worded it really well with the whole analogy around the burglary component because cybercrime is actually burglary. It it's, is theft. It's theft. Of First thing I suppose most parents do is hand their younger kids the phone or the tablet and say, here, keep quiet. They get onto mum and dad's email addresses and especially younger ones like to push all the buttons. Once you've opened something up, it's like leaving the front door open. Do you find that people are actually taking out this policy? Being a new thing, I mean, it's not overly new, but I find that even with my business clients, that the ones that I talk to are not covered by cyber policies. The scary part is, is that people go, oh, yeah, I got hit with that. I better take out cyber insurance. Mm. No one's getting ahead of the loss. Everyone's taking it up after the loss and it reaches out to every industry. I know of insurance brokers that have been hit. 
It happened on the 27th of December. Girl went in, turned on the computer, and bang, there it was. They just went into mad panic. Luckily, they had a policy and it helped them out. The insurers do a lot of work in the area of cyber. I attended a seminar back when we could. In Australia, they've got three or four licensed hackers. This guy got on stage and he had a suit and tie on and he logged into the dark web. He showed us where we could buy a credit card, where we could buy a visa, where we could go to order our goods, ship them to a PO box address. The best bit was he he named a bank and he said, we'll pick on this bank today and how many people in the room are with that bank? And everyone was really scared. He stopped when he had to, but you could buy a credit card anywhere from 80 cents to about $3 to then go off and buy goods online. And by the time the goods were delivered to your PO box, by the time you'd got your goods, the retailers realised it's fraud and it's a scam and that person's gone. I read online on Business Victoria's website and they quote that it costs $29 billion a year in terms of businesses and cybercrime. I just find it really staggering that people don't insure for this. Is it expensive? Is that sort of what the fear is? If you bring that back to a business that, say, turns over $5 million and spent three or $4,000 on buying cyber insurance... You do the math. How is it? How are insurance premiums calculated? So just an example with cyber, is it turnover-based, number based of employees, on, and that kind of stuff? Turnover, it's based on the type of security you have on your system, how many transactions you do over the net, and the type of product it is. The unfortunate thing is it doesn't matter how much security you have on your computer. These guys will find a way around it. Yeah. And the insurers will always say, it's not a matter of if it'll happen, it's when it'll happen. It's the new way, and you don't necessarily have to be a criminal. Anyone that's got a bit of computer knowledge, have access to a computer and know how to read data, and it's a bit of a game as well. I mean, a lot of these guys that hack into computers don't do it for the money. They do it for the prestige. It's almost like graffiti. They tag their website, and you're known as, wow, you're a great hacker. In terms of the general insurance broking world, why should a business owner use a broker as opposed to doing it themselves? The general public should use Wilson White and they should use Wilson White because we're there working for the client, for the business owner, for the car owner, the homeowner. We're not working for the insurer, we're working for the client. And in most cases, particularly with larger accounts, we work on a fee for service so we don't actually receive any remuneration from the insurer. That way you can't be swayed to benefit one insurer to the other. And that might upset a few people, but at the end of the day, we're acting for you, the policyholder, and we're trying to find you the best cover with what's available to us. Excellent. To be honest with you, we could have talked about so many different other policies, but we have run out of time and love to dive deep into things like, obviously, policies around property and construction, warranty, construction, management liability we haven't talked about that and there's a lot of other things we can cover off on but you've been able to give us an amazing insight into your world of general insurance and i'm sure that our listeners will get a lot out of that and i want to thank you for joining us today thank you very much this is the bottom line a show designed to help australian businesses succeed this podcast was produced by accountancy firm alexander spencer At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. 
and we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing, and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.